Hopefully the next couple of weeks we're going to wrap up uh, our study of Acts. Uh, we're going to finish up through chapter 20. And then in the fall we're going to pick up in 21 through the end of the book. That's the third and final section. And then what I'm going to do for the summer is I came up with a sermon series called A Better Way. And basically I'm going to look at all the negative traits and different things that we do and look at the scriptures to find out what the better way is to live. So that's going to be coming to you this summer. I like to try to do topical in the summer because I know people are away. People go on vacation. They come back. They're in and out. So, um, you know, rather than having something like like studying through Acts that builds upon uh, the previous week. So that's kind of where we're going. I'm going to pray and then we'll get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. Um, we're thankful, Lord, that we can come here and lift your name in praises. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, that we could um, let these songs that we sing not just be songs, but words of worship to you. And I pray, Lord, now that as we study your word, that uh, we really are inspired uh, by what Paul and his companions did in this, these early days of the church, but also, more importantly, that we're inspired how you worked in and around and through the people of that time and, and still continue to do that today. So we're thankful for that. So I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to keep our focus and attention on you uh, as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, we left off in chapter 19 with Paul in Ephesus, casting out demons and healing people. Now remember those seven sons of the high priest named Sceva. They were trying to cast out demons, trying to use kind of like um, what Paul was saying, like in Jesus' name, and it didn't work. And then the demon-possessed person uh, jumped on the seven sons and gave them a beat down that they would never forget. And basically all the people in Ephesus, they caught their attention. Many trusted that many trusted in Jesus and they burnt their cult worship stuff. Remember, it was like five or three or five million dollars worth of, uh, you know, worship materials basically in their cult practices because of their change of life. So now what's going to happen is uh, we're going to pick up in the next uh, passage in chapter 19. It says this. Now, after these events. Paul resolved in spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul felt in the spirit that he should eventually head to Jerusalem and to, so, and to Rome. So he sent Timothy and Erastus ahead of him, but stayed in Ephesus for a while. Now, while he was still in Ephesus, this is what happens. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Remember, they called uh, Christianity the way at that point. Yeah, some people did anyway. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. So Demetrius, he's a silversmith. He makes his money building these shrines 
for the false god and the idol and and the idol Artemis. And basically, he's concerned. His pocket is going to be hurting. His his livelihood is making these idols for the people for their worship. Now, there's going to be a problem if a lot of people or many people or the majority of the people start turning to Jesus and start turning their back on this idol worship of Artemis, guess what's going to happen? This guy is going to lose his job, okay? This guy's going to lose his job. He's not going to have the money. His pocket's going to be hurting. So he gets together the other tradesmen and says, you know, hey guys, this is going to be a problem for our finances. So here's what he does. What he does in order to protect his livelihood, he brings about two other concerns. Now these other concerns will upset the majority of the people. They'll upset the majority of the people. So here's what he does. He says, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God's made with hands are not gods. So then he goes on and says, and there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of our great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So there's two concerns. There's two concerns that he brings up. He brings up status and he brings up beliefs. Now, the general public would not be concerned about Demetrius's pockets. Okay, they, they just wouldn't. They're like, okay, you're a craftsman. You're not going to make any money anymore. The, the general public would not be concerned about these guys' bank accounts. But they will be concerned and they are concerned with their status and their beliefs. So let's start with status. Ephesus was known for being the place of the great temple of Artemis. So he appeals to civic pride. Like everybody knows about Ephesus. Now, this is obviously an exaggeration when he says all the world worships Artemis. Basically what he's doing is he's he's appealing to civic pride. He's saying if if this happens, Ephesus will not be the place that you and I know and love. So basically what he does is he says, if Paul keeps preaching and people keep turning their backs in, on worship of Artemis, Ephesus will not hold the importance and will not hold the status that it does around the world. So we know this to be true, right? People are unified when we share a common status, right? People are unified when we share a common status. We see this in our culture. We're unified citizens of the United States. We love our country. We're unified citizens of the United States. So what happens when you turn on the Olympics? When you turn on the Olympics, there might be athletes or teams that you like, right? But when it's an American, what do you, who are you rooting for? Okay, come on, <laughs> who are you rooting for? <laughs> right, so, so when it's an American athlete or team, you're rooting for them. If they get knocked out, then you're like, okay, I like that guy, I'll root for him, you know, wave that flag. But here's the thing, you root for America because you live in America. You have civic pride, you love our country. If there's a challenge or an attack waged against America from another country, what happens? We unify together. For example, did you know on September 12th, 2000, 
Walmart reported that 6,400 American flags were sold. This was September 12, 2000. But the same day, the following year, September 12, 2001, Walmart reported that 88,000 American flags were sold. What changed? You and I know that. We lived through it, right? All of a sudden, our country started to unify, okay? We have a common goal, a common belief, a common feeling and des desire for safety for our country. So we realize, okay, all differences aside, we have to unify together. This is what Demetrius was trying to do with these guys. He was trying to rally the troops. If Paul gets what he wants, people turning to Jesus, guess what's going to happen? People won't look at Ephesus the Great with our great temple to Artemis the same way. People will actually not even care about Artemis anymore. Which brings us to the next concern, and that's their belief. They worshipped Artemis, and now Paul was preaching another god. Paul was actually saying, the god that you're worshipping isn't a god at all. Isn't a god at all. This would shake up their culture, worshiping the god of fertility with some pretty sketchy worship practices. So now Paul's preaching a god that actually has moral standards, actually has a desire for his people to follow after him. Now let's apply these concerns to today. There's three concerns, right? Finances, Demetrius' concern, status, and beliefs. You know what? When finances, status, and beliefs are challenged, what happens? Problems arise, right? When our finances, when our status, when our beliefs are challenged, problems arise. Sometimes these problems have a good result, right? People turn to Jesus. People turn to Jesus. They realize, I have a need greater than my finances can fix. Have you ever had those needs? I bet you did if you had a health problem, okay? Greater than your finance. You go to the doctor, you pay your copays and this and that, but the doctor looks at you and says, huh. There's nothing more than we, we can do. There's not enough money in the world to solve your health problem, okay? But you know what? When people start to realize, not only when there, maybe it's a health problem, but when they start to realize like, okay, I've surrounded myself with things and finances, but I still have this empty feeling. I thought these things were gonna make me happy. I thought these things were gonna soothe my need. We start to realize, you know what? There must be something more out there. There must be something more that's going to actually give me purpose and help me. And then we start to realize things. We start to realize things like, hey, I don't measure up. I actually do things wrong. I'm not doing things the right way. And then you might be in an environment like this, or maybe you're listening to the radio, and it happens, your scan stops on Christian radio, and it starts talking about things like forgiveness. And how we have this deep need to be forgiven for the things that we've done wrong. You see, the Bible teaches that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We all need forgiveness from God. Jesus Christ is that Savior. He was willing to come and die and pay the price for our sins and forgive us of our sins when we trust in to Him. So the scriptures teach us that Jesus died and rose from the grave. And he says to all who believe, I will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. That's something money can't buy. 
Okay, that's something money can't buy. There's not enough money in the world to get you forgiven of the sins that you've committed. Or maybe they realize that having status among people really doesn't make much of a difference in your status in the next life. Do you know what happens to rich people? They die. Do you know what happens to poor people? They die too. Do you know what happens to famous people? Dead again. Do you know what happens to nobody's like you and I? We die too, okay? That's our status, okay? That's our status. Well, what's our status in the next life? No matter what your status on earth is, you die. And before we die, we need, we need to find out what our status will be in that next life. Jesus said this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The only way that you can be in forgiven citizenship status in heaven is by believing in Jesus. You can be the most popular, the most rich, the most status symbol person on this earth, but if you don't know Jesus, guess what? You're not going to be with him in glory. Or maybe they realize who or what they are worshiping is not a God at all. These people in Ephesus, they were worshiping this God made by hands, Artemis. In that day and age, idol worship, you know, it was very popular. It's not as popular in this day, right? We, not many people are doing that, like here in America anyway. But we still worship things that are not God. And oftentimes we live by the belief system that goes along with it, right? And when I say worship, you know, we think of worship as singing songs and coming to church and stuff. But worship is really dedicating our time and our allegiance and effort to something. It's giving our whole self. It's submitting our will to whatever that thing or person is. For example, today, an idol can be politics. People will pick a political party, agree with everything that party believes, and disagree with everything the opposing party believes. And they even have TV stations dedicated to this. So you can worship every morning, right? And worship every afternoon, and worship every evening, right? This is what's happening. It's actually the core of worship. Reverence, adoration, and devotion. I no longer have an opinion. I get my opinion from the belief system that I subscribe to. Right? That's good if you're a Christian. And the belief system you subscribe to is being a Jesus follower. I'm submitting my will to what I worship. You know, no leader, no political party, no thing can ever sit in that seat. That seat is reserved for Jesus. That seat is reserved for Jesus. So when we worship him, we're saying, I submit my will to your will. And I no longer follow my own desires. I follow your desires. But you know what? Maybe a challenge of our finances, our status, or what we worship doesn't bring us to the realization of Jesus. Because we know a lot of people like that, right? Maybe it's you sitting here today. But you know what? Sometimes when things in life are challenged, it causes us to look for answers. But some people just don't look for the answers. They don't find the answers. They're not intuitive enough to say like, hey, maybe there's something more. So what happens at that point? Well, I'll tell you what happens at that point. They get angry. They get frustrated. 
because there's a challenge or a problem and it could be growing and it will not go away unless it's fixed and they're trying to fix it so they get really, really upset. This, I, I feel like I'm describing right, our world right now. Our world right now. They're looking everywhere to fix everything, but they're missing who can really fix it. Who can really fix the true, deep soul problem that you and I all have? And that's Jesus. So this is what happened in Ephesus. Many people didn't turn, and here's what happens. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's travel companions in travel. So what do they do in their frustration? They riot, okay? Riot. There's a good idea, right? Okay, and guess what? This is pretty typical. Do we see this these days? Right? And we turn on whatever news channel we worship, and we see what the commentary is. This was a good idea. They're really speaking their minds. This was a dumb idea. They're not speaking their minds. Well, let's, let's fast forward two months to a different riot. This was a good idea. This was a bad idea. I mean, we see this, right? This is a typical reaction when people are frustrated, when they lose control, they riot. We see this in our culture all the time. When people don't agree, when they feel they're treated unfairly or unheard, they take to the streets, they protest with this notion. If we cause a public disturbance, people will listen. We didn't invent this in America. Let me just tell you, okay? This was going on for some time. So let's look and see what happens. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Assyriarchs who were friends of his said to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So Paul probably wanted to go get his companions, probably wanted to protect them. The disciples and the officials, that's the Assyriarchs, their officials, they wouldn't allow him. They're like, no, 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 you're not going in there, Paul. You're going to be in real trouble if you go into that angry mob. I, I appreciate the fact that you want to help your friends out, but you're a dead man if you go in there. So now what happens? Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> Sound like a riot? Sounds like a riot to me. Typical pattern of a riot. The few start because they have a reason. The rest join in the confusion and say, hey, let's go get some TVs. Let's go do this. Let's go do that, right? There's confusion, so they steal and break stuff. The sad thing is, in our culture, we have Christians go out marching and protesting on behalf of causes, and they are actually promoting things and supporting things that Jesus would never promote and never support. So there's a bunch of people now running around. They don't even know what they're doing, okay? They don't even know what they're doing. So let's hear what happens. Some of the crowd promoted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, 
Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. So here's what happens. Um, the town clerk, he tries to talk. To, oh, wait, I think. Um, so we don't know much about this guy, Alexander, here. He pops up, um, except for that he was a Jew and his job was to appease the mob. So they sent him out there like, go take care of these guys. OK, not a job you want. Right. So basically what his job was, was don't blame the Jews. Don't blame the Jews for this because they all knew Paul was educated in Judaism and stuff like that. You know, they didn't make all the jumps that Paul wasn't all supporting, you know, what the Jewish people were preaching. So basically he sent this guy Alexander out, said, you know, make sure they don't blame the Jews. Then when they found out he was a Jew, they said, get rid of this guy. So now for two hours, the mob shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And I don't know about you, but is it easy to reason with people that are just yelling the same thing on and on and on, on and on and on, okay? You're not gonna reason with that, okay? You're, there's no reasoning with that. It's like dealing with your toddlers, right? And they're like, I want this, I want this. That's basically, you know, a group of toddlers. So here we go. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. So now he, he, he gets up and he tries, the town clerk tries to talk some reason into them. He says, listen, guys, listen, everybody knows about us. You know, everybody knows our stories. Everybody knows what happened here and how Ephesus holds this this shrine for the great Artemis. Then he says, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. So he tries to talk some sense into him. Like, hey guys, do you think this little guy Paul is gonna change the fact that everybody knows how awesome we are? That's basically what he's doing. I mean, it's actually a pretty good tactic because these people are acting like toddlers. So he basically says, here's the candy, little boys and little girls. Okay, I want to appease you and help you to understand people know about us. Nothing's really going to change. So the town clerk tries to talk some sense into them. Hey, listen, everybody knows about us. This is an important lesson for us as believers. There will be things that happen in our culture and in our community that go against what we believe and what the Bible teaches. Would you agree with that? There's things that's going to, right? They're going to go. It's perfectly fine to disagree, isn't it? Well, I mean, <laughs> it should be, right? It should be. But it's perfectly fine to disagree, to challenge, and even protest. But we want to be careful about not doing anything rash, harsh, or illegal. We want to be careful about that, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of Christian groups out there that are like, this should not be happening. And what do they do? They go and do something rash, something harsh, or even worse, something illegal. That's not the way Christians should act, okay? That's not the way Christians should act. So... We're still called to be loving. We're still called to be kind. We're still called to be compassionate. We're still called to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. We're still called to love our enemies and pray for them. This is where it gets hard, right? 
And this is why I want to appeal to you as Christians. We should never get into this riot mentality, okay? We can't get into this riot mentality because the outcomes are not necessarily what Jesus would want. There's no room in biblical worldview for hate or actions that cause others harm. There's no room in the biblical worldview for that. No room for hate, no room for actions that cause others harm. So the town clerk goes on and he says, For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, sure judges. Let them bring charges against one another. So Paul, so basically what's happening here is this. Paul and his companions didn't really do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. So the town clerk gets up and says, hey, you know what? He didn't blaspheme the God. He didn't do anything sacrilegious. So if Demetrius and his boys that are motivated by their pockets want to get people going, they could come to the court. They could bring a charge. Court's open. Court's in session. If Paul and his companions really did something wrong, bring them in. We'll try them. We'll figure it out, right? So this guy, this town clerk, he was a pretty reasonable guy. So what happens? But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to, justly, to justify this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So basically, there it is. There it is. Since there's no real wrongdoing on the part of Paul, there was no real legal case against him. And if they continued in this unruly mob, there would actually be what? A case against them. He was basically telling them, just because what Paul is preaching has challenged your finances, your status, and your beliefs, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And you know, as a Christian, right? As a Christian, we have to remember that, okay? We get hot and bothered about things, right? Because they challenge what we believe. And you know what? The truth is, what do people really need? Do they need you and I yelling in their face? No, you might think they do, but they don't. Do you know what they need? They need you to be praying for them that say they see who Jesus really is. That they see who Jesus really is. Now, today is Communion Sunday, and we enter into communion because we know it's a time of remembrance, right? We know it's a time to remember what Jesus has done. Jesus has done this for you and for me. He laid down his life. His blood was shed on our behalf. Jesus died for me. He died for the world. I've trusted him. If you've trusted him, you're obviously welcome to observe communion because you're remembering that. But there are other people that have not trusted him yet. So we want to be mindful of the fact that they need our prayers, that they need our love, they need our compassion, they need our guidance from God's word. But today as we celebrate communion, we, we remember what Jesus did. But it's also a time to reflect and examine our own lives. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. What right now has been challenging your commitment to Jesus? 
What's challenging the fact that you say you're a Christian and committed to Jesus, but what's really challenging that commitment? In other words, what's standing in your way? You know, maybe like we studied today, maybe it's finances, material possessions. Sometimes we just get so caught up, don't we? We just get so caught up in the rat race of making money, of having more stuff, of getting things. We just get, and you know, it's a slippery slope. You know, we think, that's not me. You know, as you're a younger person, oh, I just want just a few things, right? I just want a small house. I just want this. I just want that. And then all of a sudden it just steamrolls. And next thing you know, you wake up one day and you're like, man, I'm really the type of person that I'm into everything that I have. I'm into my finances. I'm into my stuff. Maybe it's, maybe it's status. Maybe it is status. Maybe you're afraid of what people will think of you. You know, when we think of status, we think of popular, famous people, right? But maybe you're just afraid of what people will think for you. If, if I go to work tomorrow and people know that I'm a Christian, eh, I don't know. I don't know. They're going to think I'm one of those people who hates everybody. Well, be the Christian that acts like Jesus. Be the Christian that actually loves people, cares for people, has compassion on people. Or maybe something standing in the way of you really worshiping or what really worship means. You can submit your will, right? You can submit your will to anything. You can submit your will and purposes in life to the things around you, to family, to friends, to job, to finances, to anything. You could submit. You, you use your life as an act of worship to those things because that's what you use your time with. And you might say, I'm a worshiper of Jesus, but everything in your life says you're a worshiper of whatever you feel like doing. You're a worshiper of, of your own pleasure, of your own stuff. Your time is dedicated to everything that's not of Jesus. Think about it. And I know I say this a lot. How much time do you spend on your device, on your, on your TV? How much time do you spend in recreation? And then let's compare that. How much time do you spend in God's word and in prayer? Yeah, there's a lot of guilty faces out there, including mine, right? How much time do we spend in the things of God? And how much time do we spend in the things of the world? And I'm not saying you're bowing down at your TV, but you know what? If we did a little flow chart of your time, how would it look? Really, how would it look? How much time do you dedicate to your commitment to Christ? So I'm going to give you a minute or two to just really think and confess and talk to Jesus, and then we'll partake together. Unlike Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. This is my body given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day, Lord. We're thankful for your shed blood, for the forgiveness of our sins. We're thankful, Lord, that you give us purpose. We're thankful, Lord, that you are worthy to be worshipped. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't let our finances, our status, and the beliefs of this world stand in the way of our commitment and worship of you. I pray, Lord, for anyone here that is still kind of navigating those things as far as belief in you goes. I pray that you would press upon their hearts to trust you. I pray for those of us here who struggle with our commitments. We struggle with being pulled away by the things of this world. I pray that you would just help us to keep our focus and our attention on who you are and what you've done, the one who loves us, the one who died for us. In his precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.